in person at Clark Street. Thank you for being with us and for those watching online. Great to have you here with us. My name is Joe Crummy and I'm going to be speaking today from the New Testament book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 4 and we're going to read the end of Acts 4 and into Acts chapter 5. But first, here's a question for you. And for those of you who are on our live stream um, page, I asked this yesterday, so you can think about it right now. Here's a question for you. What image or picture or word would you use to describe God? So you can think about that one for a moment. If I had said to you, you have to pick one image, one picture, one word to describe God, which word, picture, image would you use? I recognize it's a very unfair question, isn't it? How can you just use one word? And some of you who replied, you use more than one word. You cheat it a little bit, and our good friend Passion even wrote a couple of answers. Um, so give him credit for his effort on that. So here's what some people wrote. So I'll just read out some of the ones that people wrote and see if maybe your word, phrase, or picture is in there, or maybe you have others to add to it. But here's what some things that people wrote in no specific order. Consuming fire, redeemer, creator, artist, Abba, Daddy, Loving Father, Sustainer, Friend, Comforter, Father, Shepherd, Shield, and Fountain of Life. Those are some good phrases, pictures, images. Now, I found it interesting. I was wondering if anyone was going to put this one down. Maybe you can raise your hand if you're here or online. You can let us know. Did anyone think of the word judge? as one of your images, pictures for God. Did anyone think of judge? Anyone here in person? I had one at the early um, service who said that. Well, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And, but first, let's read Acts 4, 32 um, to chapter 5, verse 16. And I know we've covered some of this, but I just want to set the context for what we're going to take a look at this morning. So you can read along. I think the words will be up here on the screen as well. So we pick it up. And we read this. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, so all the followers of Jesus. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. 
And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to, join, or used to meet together in Solomon's colony. No one else dared join them, even though they were hardly, highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Woof! Wow! What a passage to read. And what stands out to me is this, the reality of God in the life of God's people. Here we have believers in Jesus, and as we, just a quick review, God came in the flesh in Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, he was resurrected from the dead, he returned to heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit, who are now living, he's living in and present in his followers. And there it says there are one heart and mind, they're generous, they're sharing their lives and possessions, great grace was upon them all, no needy persons. And Mark talked last week just about a generous God and a generous people. Yet, we also see this, if you lied to God or tried to deceive God, the church leaders knew. Judgment from God was swift and serious. There were all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. On one hand, no one dared to join them, yet they were highly regarded by the people. And yet, all kinds of people believed in Jesus and was added to the church. And there were healings. Now, you come on, folks. Imagine this. Even if you were in Peter's shadow, you could get healed. I mean, incredible. And there were signs and wonders, healings, deliverances, and as we've already seen, lots of persecution. So to me, sometimes in Fredericton, in my world, maybe in yours, in New Brunswick, in Canada, we can sometimes go like, where is God? Like, you know, we can sometimes go. We're not seeing necessarily all the time very much of this happening. Yet, if you read about the church in China or in North Korea or in Iran, where there's all kinds of persecution, guess what? There seems to be all kinds of evidence of God in the midst. And there's an increased reality of God being with his people and in the world. And what I love so much about the Bible, and Luke here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is so honest as a writer and historian. We get the whole picture. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of like reading about God's power and about people being healed and signs and wonders. And can you imagine like you're just walking by and if someone gets in your shadow, they get healed? I mean, come on, that's pretty exciting. But I'll be honest, I'm not so sure always what to do with this story about Ananias and Sapphira. It's a bit uncomfortable, if I'm honest. So I ask you, how do you feel just reading that passage? To be honest, I'm a bit like, are we allowed to even read this in front of kids? Like on a 
Or is this, this is more like, this is beyond PG-13. I think this is M for mature or R for restricted. And I feel a bit confused, maybe offended, maybe scared, maybe angry. Sometimes I'm just like, let's just skip it and move on. So it was very tempting. We're doing a series on Acts. It's very tempting just to go end of Acts 4 and we'll pick it up at verse 14 of Acts 5. But Luke and the Holy Spirit have recorded us this passage for us to understand more about God, to understand more about us as humans, about sin, and there's some things I think we can learn some very valuable lessons from. So let's take a look this morning and let's see what we can learn and what we believe God wants to say and reveal to us. First thing, and we have got, got some headlines for us. Number one thing that stands out is the awe of God. That there's an awe of God. And Mark just shared that even in our worship just a few minutes ago about God wanting to remind us about who God is. And sometimes we, if we I think we're honest with ourselves, we can kind of lose an awe of God. We can be a bit sloppy with God. And we can lose that God is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, that God is the great I am, that God is so other than us, that God set apart creator, maker, author, sustainer. He is an all-consuming fire. He's righteous and true, light. He's the ancient of days, king of kings, Lord of lords, and God is love altogether. And I've said this quote many times before from Terry Virgo, but hits me every time. Terry said this, we as humans are a lot like God because we are made in his image, but God is nothing like us. There's an otherness to God. So let me just quickly go through just some passages from the Bible because I think what I interpreted Mark was kind of saying earlier is that, you know what, sometimes we can just, we're so much in the world and everything we see, social media, Netflix, and everything can just, we can lose what God is really is like. So let me just take a look at some passages that just focus on the awe of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God. So let's just, a quick trip, and I'm just going to pick up some different ones from the Bible. Does anyone remember Moses in the burning bush? Does anyone remember Moses, the burning bush? Thank you. I see some hands. Moses, this bush is burning, but yet it's not being consumed. And Moses said, I'm going to go over and take a closer look. And what happens? God speaks to him from the bush and says, Moses, you're on holy ground. Take your sandals off. And it says this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then Moses gets to know God more, and we see in Exodus 19 and 24 that the glory of God comes down on a mountain, and it says, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. And everybody else said, we're not getting any closer. Moses, you go. And yet Moses, amazingly, went up the mountain with God. Whew. We read about Solomon in the temple. So they, Solomon built this temple for God's presence. Like, God's got nowhere to dwell. And God's saying, well, I, you know, I create the heavens and the earth. I'm just not going to, but I will presence myself with my people. And we read this in 1 Kings 8. They consecrate it. They dedicate it to the temple. And it says that God came. And we read this. And when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Whew! Can you imagine what that would be like? 
Sorry, folks, we got to clear out of Clark Street because God showed up in his presence and we just couldn't handle it. So we got to get out. That's what it would be kind of like. And we read about Isaiah. So we have an Isaiah in our church. Isaiah, if you're watching at home, chapter 6, Isaiah met God. And we read this. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this is what Isaiah said as he encountered God. Does anyone know what Isaiah said? He said, woe is me. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He just fight face down. And an angel took a coal and touched his lips. It's so fascinating, Old Testament. Listen to this language. Does this sound familiar in New Testament? A coal touched his lips, and guilt was taken away, and sin was atoned for, and he could stay in God's presence. Ezekiel, we have an Ezekiel in our church. Ezekiel, if you're watching at home, chapter one, Ezekiel. I mean, this one, folks, this one gets weird, okay? He has an encounter with God, and it says the heavens were open, and he saw visions of God, and there's living creatures, and there's wheels, and spinning wheels, and wheels within wheels, and wings of these things, and it says it was like the roar of rushing waters, and I always think of Niagara Falls. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? Like, just that sound is incredible, the sound, the roar of rushing waters, and there was a throne and a figure like a man, and there was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, guess what happened? I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Fast forward to Daniel. Daniel's got all kinds of visions and things happening, so if you want to get some pictures of God and images of God in there, whoo, I didn't know where to start. I'm just taking one, chapter 7. Daniel has a vision, and he says this, And there before me was one like, the son of, like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all peoples and nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Woo! Powerful. And then we fast forward, and Jesus comes. And in Matthew 17... Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain and something miraculous takes place. And the Bible says that Jesus is transfigured, that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And God speaks. And guess what the three disciples did? They fell face down to the ground, terrified. And this is so powerful. And it says this, Jesus touched them and said, don't be afraid. Whew, that one gets me every time. <laughs> Whew. And we're going to see a little bit, a couple more chapters in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, who was the first martyr, he was killed for being a Christian. As he was being killed, we read this in chapter 7. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Hazel, I was thinking that earlier as you were just singing that powerful, like, you know, we lift our eyes. Where does our help come from? Here's Stephen being killed, and where is he lifting his eyes? And he sees the glory of the Lord, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews writes this, looking at some of the passages we read from the Old Testament about God consuming fire, mountain, but yet now 
God's presence is with his people in the church. And the author of Hebrews writes this at the end of chapter 12. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And the last one, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, John has a vision and he encounters Jesus. And we read this in John, in Revelation chapter 1. John sees someone like a son of man referencing what we just read from the book of Daniel. And what happened? And I fell at his feet as though dead. And what did he do? And he touched me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. It was Jesus himself. Folks, I'm hoping that you're seeing a bit of a pattern being established here in the Bible. That as we come back to the Bible and we read about these encounters of God revealing himself to people and to individuals, that we realize that there's an awe that comes with God, that there's God's holiness, his otherness, that God's set apart, that the glory of the Lord is revealed, that we realize all of a sudden God is God, and we're not. And the pattern of falling face down and just saying, God, I'm not worthy. I'm unclean compared to you. Folks, that's what I want to try to help understand in this passage in Acts, that that is the God. That's the context. And we see, secondly, this, we see the seriousness of sin. As we are aware of God's holiness and God's glory, we realize that, hey, even though humanity is made in God's image, and the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2 that God made male and female in his image, both equal, and it was very good. But we read this in chapter 3 that Adam and Eve sinned, and they rebelled against God, and they disobeyed God, and they ignored God's word. And there were consequences to disobeying God. And it says this, all the good became tainted, and all of a sudden was diseased. Truth became lies. Health became cancer. Light became dark. Love became hate. Security became fear. Wholeness became shame. And the Bible sums it up in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Peter states that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, their sin was primarily against God. It wasn't that they kept money back. They, Peter's saying, the money was yours. It's they misrepresent it to God. And folks, this morning, we just got to remind that God is all-knowing. And I think we kind of know that in a general sense. Yeah, God knows everything. But folks, God knows us. God knows you and me. God knows our hearts. God knows our minds. He knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. He knows the motives behind our actions and our words. And one of the lessons we can learn today is let's not try and fool God. Folks, we're a fool if we think we can fool or trick or deceive God. Instead, let us walk humbly before our God, as the Bible says, with a clear conscience, walking in the light, transparent, honest before God and one another. Because we see this, God does not like hypocrisy. Jesus, if you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, through the Gospels, Jesus spent a lot of time revealing the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And I find it interesting. He wasn't talking about people out there in the world. He was act revealing that the religious people were hypocrites. And what do we mean by that? 
hypocrisy, the definition is this, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform, therefore pretending or there's a pretense. So the Pharisees were putting judgment on everyone out there, yet were not believing or following through on their own things and their own beliefs and their own heart. And Jesus, whew, came against that big time. And folks, if we're honest with one another, I think sometimes we, we pretend. We put up an image or a mask. Even more so today with social media, it's even easier. We can hide behind projecting an image to one another that we can appear better than we really are if we're honest with each other. We can do that to God. We can even do that with God to say, God, of course you like me because we're putting this image forth that God would, who wouldn't like this image? But really, deep inside we know we don't line up. And one of the things we see from the Bible is this, and this is why I asked about the word judge back in the beginning of saying, what's one of the words you would use to describe God? And as I went through and just looked through again this week, I just realized that, man, one of the things that's probably the most evident in the Bible is this, that God is judge. That God is judge. And we see it right from the beginning. God judged Adam and Eve. God judged them. God judges all the way through the Old Testament. He judges his people, the Israelites. He says, are you following my law? Are you obeying my commands? He judges those who are pagans, kings who weren't even following him. God brings judgment. And in the New Testament, this continues both in the church and outside. And we're going to see later on in Acts chapter 12, Herod, who wasn't a follower of Jesus, very proud. And he took on, it says, worship of God, and God struck him dead. But God brings judgment. And Jesus talked a lot about a coming day of universal judgment. And I went through the book of Matthew this week. I went from all the way through. And I was just amazed at how much Jesus spoke about the judgment that is coming. We don't always think about that about Jesus. We think, oh, Jesus, love, peace, love. And we kind of get the hippie 60s image of Jesus just chilling. And then you read the words of Jesus and you're like, whoo! There's a judgment coming for all the world. Which poses a problem that I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes. It's how do we, as sinners who fall short of God's glory, get right with God while there's still time? And this is the good news, and we just sang about it in the worship songs this morning. The good news is this, is the Bible reveals that Jesus is both judge and savior. And here's what I had to wrestle through this week. And maybe I'll just give you a little window into Joe Crummy's mind here this week, wrestling through God as judge. And here's what I realized, that depending upon why you're coming before God as judge determines whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing. And this is what I realized. If you've been wronged in this life and you've been, people have done terrible things to you, you're glad that there's a judge. So here on planet Earth in Fredericton, every day you read about in the courts, if somebody's stolen something from you, if someone's lied to you, if someone's done terrible things, you're glad there's a judge because what do we want? We want justice. We want, it's not fair. 
These things happen, and there has to be justice. Someone has to be held account. Someone needs to pay for this wrongdoing, whether it's a fine, a penalty, prison time. And we're glad that there's a judicial system. We're glad there's judges. And we're glad that the judges are this. We're glad that the judges have authority. We're glad that judges identify what is good and right. We're glad that a judge is full of wisdom to discern the truth. We're glad that a judge actually has power to execute and fulfill a sentence. We're glad. And throughout the Bible, we see this, that we're glad that God is judge because all throughout the Bible, those who had been wronged, injustice, the poor, the marginalized, those who were wronged against, they cry out to God, don't they? We see that all throughout God's word. God, this is not fair. We cry out to you. God, hear us, Lord. See what we're going through, God. Act, intervene. God, do something. This is not fair. Act in our behalf. And we're glad that God's a judge, and we're glad that God hears, and we're glad that God can't be bribed, and we're glad that God is able to come and to deal with things either in this life or in the life to come. So we say, I'm glad God's a judge. But then we're not so glad when we know that we're the ones who have wronged others. And very quickly, the same people who maybe have wronged me that I want to go before a judge, when I wrong them, guess what I want? I don't want justice. What do I want? I want mercy. <laughs> I want justice for those who do wrong out there. But when I do wrong, I want mercy. And we can be fearful of God as judge regarding our own lives. And the good news is this, that Jesus is both judge and savior. God is holy. Sin is so serious, even if we don't appreciate it. And we need a miracle. And the Bible says this, that God was both able to fulfill justice for those things that were done wrong and display mercy and forgiveness. And where do we see that come to fruition? When Jesus died on the cross. We just sang about it this morning, about being reconciled to God, about God redeeming. And what did God do? God sent Jesus. God, it, folks, the problem was so serious, it took God to provide God to give a solution to the problem. And he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who fulfilled the law and was innocent. And the Bible says he became our great substitute and the great sacrifice. He went to the cross. And when we say, where is justice? Jesus went to the cross. And the Bible says this, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And he took all the penalty and all the wrongs in the wrath of God. Justice was served. Hallelujah. God was satisfied. And yet in this great exchange, when we call on Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, his righteousness, his right standing with God is given as a gift to us. He takes all of our guilt and shame and penalty and he gives it to Jesus. And he gives all the right standing and sonship and peace and joy and fellowship with God to us. 
And that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We become a new creation. We become sons of the living God. And we go from punishment to receiving an inheritance. Whew, that is good news. That's what we sing about every day. That God has made a way. This holy God that we fall down and say, God, we're not worthy. And he lifts our head and he places us in Christ and we can be a son of God. Folks, just let that reality just rest in that for a minute. It's good news. And the last point is this, the purity of the church, that the church is Jesus' bride. And I just find it interesting that this serious incident took place in the context of church and not out there in the world. Because a lot of times you see in our religious culture, people get very angry about sin going on out there, and it's very much like, God, get the wicked, slain the wicked. And God's not doing that. What's God doing? He's taking care of the in-house, in the church. The church belongs to God. This is God's family. And God's a protective and caring father. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the husband. And Jesus paid for the church with his life. His blood purchased and ransomed people from death and sin and Satan to be his bride. And God cares and protects and guards and oversees and disciplines his flock. And a form and aspect of love is disciplining. And we read this, that this was a sin against God and the church. Because for the first time, Luke uses the word ecclesia, the called out ones. And Jesus understands, and God the Father understands, the Holy Spirit understands, that falsehood and pretending and deception ruins friendship and fellowship. And God, at the beginning of his church, has rooted this deceit out publicly. And like a surgeon rooting out cancer before it can spread and contaminate the rest of a healthy body, Jesus is dealing with this cancer. J.I. Packer says this, God's love is a holy love. The God whom Jesus made known is not a God who is indifferent to moral standards and concerns, but a God who loves righteousness and hates iniquity, a God whose ideal for his children is that they should be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, quoting Jesus in Matthew 5, 48. Christ Central Church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those watching online, today Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us as his flock. And Jesus is in a process of sanctifying and cleansing and transforming each one of us to be formed to the image of Christ. And it's a process. And God's concerned with his church, his family, his bride, and he's committed to changing us, as Paul said, from one degree of glory to another. And in 1 Corinthians 5 and in 1 Peter 3, we read Paul saying it, Peter says it, that God gets his house in order. Paul said this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? He said, we're going to sort out things within the church. God will judge those outside. So folks, it's a wake-up call for us that we're in this together, that we're the body of Christ, that we're members of the same body, that one part of us affects the whole, for better or for worse. Now here's the thing I want us to understand in church life. Folks, it is messy, but here's the encouraging thing. 
We're saved to salvation as a gift from God. It's grace. It's a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives it. We receive it. And then we go on receiving the gospel every day. We go on receiving forgiveness. And the Bible says this, that we are to go on confessing our sin, admitting to one another that we fall short, that we can be honest, that we can confess our sins one to another, as James 5 says. It can be messy, but folks, it's a safe place to do this. And here's what I want us to know. I'd rather us be messy and be honest with one another than to lie or hide or pretend or be fake. Because we don't want a good-looking church if we're all just faking it. I'd rather have a messy church, but we're honest with God and with one another. That's what God wants. And he'll help us walk through and become more like Jesus. God's love is just and merciful. And in closing, this is all I have to say. As I read through Matthew this week, the book of Matthew, and maybe you can do that this week. That's something to do. You can read through the book of Matthew. And here's what I realized. I wrote, I wrote this in my journal this week because in North America, in our Western context, we kind of have in politics kind of the conservative, liberal point of view. And even within Christianity, we kind of have a conservative kind of stream that just really rants and raves against all the sin and all the things going on in the world. And we kind of miss out on God's mercy and forgiveness. And this is what I wrote as I read through Matthew this week, Jesus is more merciful, is more forgiving, and more loving than any moral, religious, conservative fanatic can ever handle. As you go through it, I'm offended because I'm just like, Jesus, you are so merciful, forgiving, kind, gracious, loving. It shakes me. And then we also have an extreme kind of liberal where God is love and it doesn't really matter what you do. And I wrote this. If you read the words of Jesus, Jesus is more holy, more righteous, more pure than any liberal could ever handle. That's what I wrote this week. And in closing, we see in God just an incredible holiness, justice, glory, awe, and we see such mercy, forgiveness, kindness. And in closing, I just want to speak really two groups of people. First, if you're here this morning, watching online, watching this message, if you do not consider yourself a Christian, today's message is both really a warning and an invitation. And it's a reality that God is real, God is holy, God is loving, God is merciful, God is just. And the Bible says this, we will all appear before God to give an account of our lives in our words and in our actions, but also what did we do with God's son, Jesus? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat and God's going to say, give an account of your life and what did you do with my son, Jesus? And if we, I think, are honest with ourselves, we all know that we're not, face, not fit to face him. So what do we do? Well, really, we have two options. The Bible says that we can call on the coming judge to be our present-day Savior. There's good news. 
And if we choose to run from God now, the Bible says this, we're going to meet God as judge later without any hope. But if we seek Jesus now, the Bible says if we seek him, we will find him. And this is the amazing thing that we as Christians have discovered. That as we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, we discover that actually looking forward to that future meeting with God actually brings joy. That we're knowing that there is now in Christ no condemnation to those who are found, who are in Christ Jesus. We know that all the terrible things that are going on in the world are someday going to end and justice will be served. And that decision is both a today decision and a lifetime decision to follow Jesus. Now maybe you've already put your faith and hope in Jesus. Then maybe this week it might be more like Psalm 139 and we can join with David. We read this in verse 23. David wrote this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So maybe this week we can come before God and take some time to be still and pray that prayer and say, God, search me, know me, know my heart, test me, know my thoughts. And if there's any offensive way in me, God, change me, mold me, shape me to be more like you. We have choices each and every day. I encourage us, let's put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, who's both our judge and our savior. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I just want to lead us in a prayer. So if you're, if you're able, can you please stand as we pray? For those watching online, you can respond as well. you join with me? I'm just going to pray. And I just want to pray, and maybe anyone here this morning, anyone watching online, maybe you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus, both as judge and savior. And I just encourage you, even now, you can just call upon the name of Jesus. You can call upon the name of Jesus. The Bible says that as we call upon the name of Jesus, we can be saved. We can put our hope and faith as our Savior. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you join with me and just say, God, search me and know me. God, continue to change me, mold me, shape me, transform me to be like your son, Jesus. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're real. We thank you that you're holy, that there's no one like you. And we thank you that as you've revealed yourself to us, God, we're grateful, Lord, that you're in charge, that you're in control, that you're judge of all things. And we thank you this morning that you've given away through your son, Jesus Christ, for us to be forgiven, for us to be made whole and restored, to become your sons. And Lord, I just pray even now, Holy Spirit, would you just come and bring conviction? Would you come and reveal Made you save this morning as people call upon your great name, Jesus. And if you've prayed that prayer this morning, would you come talk to us, our church, maybe have friends who are Christians, tell someone, because it's the decision, but Jesus wants you to become a follower of him every day. We can help you with that.
For those of us who are Christians here, God, we just say again, today, Lord, this week, come and search us, know us. Lord, God, if there's any offensive way in us, Lord, please help us to change, Lord. Will in us, Lord, to act according to your good purpose, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, Grace and team are going to lead us. The song really is a prayer and a declaration of these things. And so I just encourage you as we speak these words for us to know the truth of what God has done for us in Christ. Thank you.